You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, have you ever been labelled as an unnecessary irritant? I'm certain I would have. Uh, uh, this is what Joe Waitley is calling the AFL pre-finals buy. I thought it was a funny term, and yeah. I thought uh, you sound like the kind of bloke who'd be an un- unnecessary yeah. irritant. I am. Anyone that, anyone that follows me on Twitter knows that that's exactly <laughs> the case with me. But I t- I, it's good that you bring up the buy straight away because what a shitty weekend this was. The weather was crap in Melbourne anyway, or Victoria. It wasn't that good. And I, I just found myself Friday nights, Saturday nights, just thinking, well, why is there no footy to watch right now? I know I spoke about it last week, but it's just ridiculous. Like, just keep it rolling. Get the finals going. Uh, I don't like it, and I hate it even more that uh, that we had to sit through that weekend of no footy. No, I'm okay with it because uh, it gives these oh, – I like the week off, mainly because you know, it enables Aaron Norton to be able to play this week. But exactly. also, yeah, Selfish. Prestia and Lynch are going to come back for Richmond. We're going to get these guys a chance to freshen up, and we get to see uh, you know, some players who we may not have seen play this week participate. And I think getting these uh, better players in is, uh, is good for everybody and watching it. Getting Presti, Pre- I, look on, honestly, I almost forgot about Dion Presti. The fact he's been out that long, he's ready to return. Tom Lynch ready to to come back for Richmond. That's further strengthens their position as premiership favourites. You would imagine, but that means that two people have to come out of this team, Kane, and uh, who are the two? Well, it's interesting, particularly with Prestia, because they've got some really great results out of having to try different guys in the midfield so far this year. We spoke a lot about. Uh, some of the guys that have had to roll through there. Jack Ross has been one of them. Jack Graham's had a fantastic year to the point where other teams are starting to circle around him. But I do think Jack Ross will be the guy that uh, slides out of this team. And perhaps the other one, it's interesting for Lynch because Mabby Chol, I think, was probably on the outside looking in before the injury to Soldo. Soldo went out of the team. We spoke about Richmond playing with two Ruckman and would they roll with that during the finals? Now I think if you look at the way their team lined up against Adelaide a week ago, it does look like Chol is going to be the the odd man out, the odd big man out that's probably going to to miss out here. It does put a lot of pressure on Dan Curvis to ruck basically 90% of the game unless, you know, I don't know who, who the secondary option would be there. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like the obvious answer is maybe all Chol and Jack Ross, but are, are you leaning any other way here? I think Chol is uh, is the right call, but again, that does that mean they throw Lynch into the ruck for yeah, sections of the game? I'm not. They don't have the old uh, Sean Grigg that they can throw in there anymore. Yeah. So Pick maybe it, they go bulldog style and just say stuff it. We we don't really care. We're not going to roll with the ruckman. I feel like no one, no one has ever done that apart from the bulldogs who do it consistently. The other guy I think that might be at risk there if it's not Ross is maybe Pickett who's been up and down this year, would be, I guess, being generous to his level of form. He's a, a potential guy. And if you want to go maybe Josh Caddy as well, who's had some uh, some moments of not great footy throughout the season, I'd say they're probably the other the op- other options there alongside Ross. Yeah, it's kind of remarkable to think about the Tigers and how well they've played over the last few months, considering the quality they've had out. Prestia, that was all the way back... I'm trying to remember what game that was. It might have been the game against Melbourne, I think, where everyone went down yeah. for the Tigers. 
And at that point, they were still looking shaky. It was like, okay, well, they've got all these injuries. How are the Tigers going to turn this around? And since then, they basically uh, haven't missed a beat. They've been absolutely unbelievable. But Prestia, again, a pretty handy inclusion just to slot in there on the EVA finals. I guess the question would be, how match fit is he? And I know that they've been able to do a bunch of stuff up at the hub, and they'll say that he's feeling great. But that's a very, very long time to say, hey, we're, we're just going to throw you into the guts in a, in a final now against a really, really, really strong Brisbane midfield. Yeah, well, they've got some other options that they can you know, run through that midfield to maybe reduce his time in there. But look, getting him back versus not getting him back, I know which direction that you'd uh, generally want to go. Some of the news across some finals teams here in uh, the Bulldogs, Tory Dixon has retired. Um, and as I said, Aaron Norton and Mitch Wallace look like they'll be ready to play. And then uh, with Collingwood, this is more off, uh, off-field off stuff, but uh, it looks like Darcy Moore is set to resign. But uh, Brody Mycheck, some really interesting stuff going on with his contract. And you, you told me this today, and I, I couldn't believe the fact that he's been a rookie for the last three years. He's kicked 85 goals in 56 games. So he's playing nearly every game every season. He's kicking 85 goals. That's one and a half goals a game. And they still continue to rookie him. No wonder he's pissed off with his contract. Yeah, fair to say he's probably been the bargain contract player really of the whole league for the last three years with the contributions he's had. Particularly, he, he was getting even better as well. Obviously, this year's been a bit of a funny year. Shorter quarters, the Pies have struggled with their forward line function. We spoke about that a lot. But in 2019, 36 goals, 26. Uh, and then obviously rookied again the, the following year. So uh, he definitely deserves a payday. And I think that's where the dispute is going to be. The Pies have other guys ahead of him in their pecking order of guys they want to resign, Dugowie um, being one of those. So maybe the sticking point is going to be money. But if you're Brody Mycheck, even if you're happy with the opportunities you had, even if you don't know whether you would have got those chances elsewhere, it's not like he's young. He's 27. He's going to be 28 by the time next season starts. This is literally the time for him to get a payday and to get an extended uh, contract where he can secure his future right through to his to his early 30s. So, you know, you really can't blame him for saying, uh, look, thanks, this has been great, but if you're not going to give me what I want, I'm going to go elsewhere. And I have no doubt that he would be a player that teams would take on. Yeah, uh, look, no, no doubt about that. He has to get yeah a better contract than what he's been getting because that's just not enough for a guy that's played. Look, he played 24 games last year. Yeah. And to rookie him again, he kicked 36-26. This is a guy that's taken almost 90 marks inside 50 over his three years uh, for, those, you know, for those almost 90 goals as well. Just a target like that, 192 centimeters, he's in that prime of his career. He, he needs that contract. And if Collingwood doesn't get it, he, he should be looking to move on. And you don't, you, know, you don't want to be you know, denigrating players for moving, but this is his life. It's his business. And he's been underpaid for three years now. And that, uh, that situation needs to change. It's actually staggering that they re-rookied him. Because I know the teams have the bargaining power in that scenario. And they need to do that. But now he's got that power. He's got, oh, well, I'm just going to go somewhere else. Because I think that's just what needs to happen when you're being consistently undervalued like that. Yeah, he's a prime He's a prime overpay candidate. If a team looks at him and says, oh, jeez, you've been playing pretty well as a, you know, sometimes the number one option, but also secondary third uh, option in that forward line. Yeah, we'll pay you a little bit more than you're probably worth. And uh, good for him if he can get that. The other contract news that's going around at the moment is uh, Adam Sart. He's going to leave Essendon. He's not going to leave Essendon. He's sort of all over the place at the moment. We've heard uh, you know, overtures from Carlton, who's always seemed to be on every player who's changing team along with North Melbourne. But at the moment, which way is it leaning? Oh, who knows? I actually read last night uh, that it looked like there was, uh, all the reports were coming out were that he was staying at Essendon. Now, 
I wake up this morning and I see the most awkward reporter in the business, Tom Brown, is saying that the Carlton is still a chance uh, to get Adam Saad. So it's unbelievable. Clearly a very good player. I mean, I, I've gone on the record to say that if Essendon lose him, this is just an absolute disaster for them, particularly after the retirement of Connor McKenna. So I can see why Carlton want him. I, I think if you're a Carlton fan, and I spoke last week that I thought Zach Williams is, going, is overpaid. I still think that's the case. They would probably have to overpay for Adam Saad as well. So where does that leave Carlton in two or three years' time when they need to re-sign some of their real uh, young guns? I'm not I'm not sure. And maybe it would be something that they'll look back and regret uh, down the track. But when you look at what Carlton needed this season, uh, they're losing uh, Cade Simpson. So Adam Sark will just slot in and replace him. And Zach Williams, as you pointed to, uh, Josh, potentially could be that linebreaker in the midfield that they just didn't have this year. So I can certainly see why Carlton would want to overpay these guys to bring them in and try and uh, quickly take a step next year up into the finals. But for Essendon, you've got to keep him. But again, when Tom Brown's sniffing around, you, who, know, who knows what could happen? Honestly, I have no idea. i tell you what else people are claiming have uh, has no idea is this uh, champion data team of the year that came out. Um, we talked about you know, the, the issue perhaps with the All-Australian team and players not playing in position, but champion data put out a team based on the players' rankings at those particular positions. And it's quite different to the All-Australian team, Kane. What do you make of it? There's nine All-Australians in it. Uh, I think the biggest complaint people have is that Lockie Neal's sitting on the bench in, in this squad. But that's because they, they went with you know, actual midfielders in midfielder positions. They went with actual wings on the wing. And according to their ratings, Bontempelli, Petrarca, and Nat Fife yeah, performed better than Lockie Neal in the champion data stuff. So what do you make of this team overall with the nine All-Australians in it and some of the other guys who we've talked about a lot? And Adam Saad's one of those guys who is in this uh, team of the year because of the value that he provides. What do you make of this squad? Yeah, I know we're probably ready to move on from the All-Australian team, but I just thought this was worth talking about because uh, as sort of as a follow-up to what we spoke about on Friday in regards to should you separate ballots to uh, backline players, midfielders, forward-line players, so then you really have clear designations with the positions that players are named. And I think you see this with this team. I mean, there is some interesting ones, and again, this comes back to where would you put Nat Fife this year? Would you put him as a forward? Would you put him as a midfielder? Where's the cutoff for midfield time? How do you how do you work that out? How do you organize that? Sure, you could complain that Lucky Neal should be in the midfield, but he's in the team, so it doesn't really matter. I think the interesting one that stands out to me was two guys that were in the All-Australian squad that didn't get in there. We spoke about the wings a lot and said, well, if you're going to acknowledge these other positions, probably start with the wings first. It's a genuine position in the game. Sam Managola and Hugh McGluggage uh, get the wing spots there. I think that that makes uh, a lot of sense. Probably the interesting name for me that's in there, and the one that really made me raise my eyebrows more than any, was uh, Mickey Walters. Feels like he's had a really quiet year for Freo. It certainly hasn't had the impact he has in past years, but he's there on a half-forward flank, which just goes to show, again, with the uh, with the ranking points and the other things you can do that can impact the game outside of sometimes just straight-up kicking goals and getting possessions. Mickey Walters, obviously, champion data, likes the year he's had. I was going to say the other half forward was the one that interests me, and that is uh, Chad Wingard, Wingard, who's been yeah. sort of, I feel a bit up and down. But yeah, just looking at these guys, we've, you know, on the back line, yeah, Sam Collins, we've talked about him, yeah, the season yeah. he's had. Yeah, Jack Crisp great, has yeah. really come on lately. Like he's been really strong. Yeah, Robbie Gray's been great. We've talked about, um, yeah, Vloston was unlucky to miss as well. He's named on the bench. These guys that didn't make the squad. I, I think it's interesting to at least look at it. I don't think we should be just completely laughing it off as yeah, many uh, people on Twitter do, which is what they uh, generally do in general. There's a lot of generals in that sentence, um, but I don't have a problem with the Neil being on the bench behind those other guys because those other guys have had great seasons, and I understand where they're coming from. And it's it's a pretty solid looking team. Now we do have other stuff 
to uh, to talk about on today's show. So let's start talking about those other things. Um, record away from home. The Eagles get to have themselves a home final. Okay, They take on Collingwood. Um, and they'll be heavily favored because their record at home is remarkably good. 16 out of the 19 games in the last two years, they have won, while they are barely above 50% in their games not at Optus Stadium. That's a that's a pretty significant difference in terms of their record. Um, yeah, what, what, do, what do we attribute that to? Uh, WA is a long way away uh, <laughs> as far as AFL travel goes. They clearly understand the ground. And I, I think also the fans. I mean, it's just a difficult place to play in terms of what the fans can bring in terms of momentum uh, and the advantages you can get from from that. So uh, I think the Eagles are just a team that are very, very comfortable when they play at home. And they're a great team. But I, I guess the, the question mark it probably brings up is when they are away from their fans, when they are on different grounds, are they able to, to get on top and, and hold that momentum and also a fight against other teams getting on a, on a run of goals against them. I mean, that's the interesting thing. It's a it's a pretty remarkable record uh, away from home for a team that I think we all consider uh, to be pretty elite. We remember last year uh, they blew it late in the year and they missed out on top four. Uh, they've done a similar thing this year with that loss uh, to your mob, the Bulldogs, a couple of weeks ago. They cost them a top four spot this year. And the problem with that is when you're a team that doesn't play all that well away from home, and the funny thing is, of course... Uh, they did win that grand final in 2018, which, uh, by the way, I watched a, a significant part of that replay last night on Fox Footy, and I, I still can't believe that uh, Collingwood would kick the first five goals and still lost that grand final. But the Eagles, this is why it's difficult for them, and particularly in a year where you've had to play away from home a lot. Uh, it just goes to show how important top four would have been uh, for them, if they, or top two, I should say, if they had got there and been able to, uh, I don't know, maybe the rules would have changed and they could have played another final uh, in Perth, uh, regardless if they had won that first one. So it's it's a big blow for them because the, the record shows that they, away from home, they're just not the same. Yeah, uh, quite obviously that that's the case anecdotally. And then when you look at the numbers as well, it backs it up and it probably backs it up more than you expected it to be the case. There's some interesting stuff um, from Daniel Cherney from the age I believe he's from, talking about the... Um, the difficulty of teams' schedules, talking about home versus uh, away games. And one of the big things this season, of course, was uh, yeah, break disadvantages in terms of looking at you know, which teams had the, the best go of it and the, the hardest go at it. Interestingly, the top two teams in terms of most favorable fixtures was Brisbane and Port. But then when we go down to the two next teams, it's Adelaide and Gold Coast. So how much does that actually mean? At the bottom of the list, you see Hawthorne with the worst yeah, fixture, the most disadvantageous schedule. And then you go... Well, you know, they were terrible. Maybe that makes sense. And then the next two teams are Collingwood and Geelong. So overall, it's interesting to look at these things. But, you know, you've got one of the worst teams at the bottom, the best teams at the top, but then some of the really bad teams at the top and some of the really good teams at the bottom. So I'm not really sure if all these break advantages and home versus away games, in the end, is it, is it actually statistically significant? Well, I think it is because this is what this is what I look at when I look at this chart um, so I'll try and explain this as best I can here. But you spoke about the teams that are at the top. So it's very obvious. This chart takes into advantage uh, outright home games, outright away games, uh, home versus away differential, uh, major break advantage, major break disadvantage. And then overall, it has a fixture score. So the fixture score clearly is going to have Brisbane, Port, Adelaide, Gold Coast, the top four. Why? Because they've been at home the most of the time. West Coast comes in fifth. Again, no surprise there. Fremantle was up there as well. But i tell you what stands out to me, Josh. It's Richmond. Richmond comes in sixth here. Have a look at this. This is unbelievable. I, I just can't believe that this is the case that, that they could figure this out. Days 
with a major break advantage. So games uh, with a major break advantage. Richmond, five. Five times they had a major break advantage, which means that you would have uh, extended rest period before a game compared to the opposition. How many games do you reckon Richmond had without uh, with a major break disadvantage? Zero. Tigers had the advantage five times, and not once did they come into a game where uh, they were the team that was on heavy legs. The Bulldogs, your mob, I mean, they've benefited from the fixture as well. Three times they had the advantage, zero times they didn't have the advantage. And then you go down to the teams uh, that are closer to the bottom. Uh, Collingwood, uh, three days, three games with an advantage, three against Geelong had the advantage once and didn't ha- and had the disadvantage uh, twice. GWS, interestingly enough, did not have a major advantage once, disadvantaged four times by the fixture. And it stands out because this has been a theory of mine coming into the finals that if you want to look back at games during uh, the home and away season and take anything from it, the first thing you should absolutely do is have a look at who they played the week before, when they played the week before, what was the day's, advan- uh, day's rest that these teams had coming into this game because it clearly was a factor throughout. And I think some of these games that we've seen you simply just have to throw out because if one team's playing on a five-day break, the other one's playing on a seven or an eight. What do you take from that? I'm just not certain. I'm just not so sure that there's a lot there. I wonder, right, if there is a difference between like we can say two two-day break disadvantages, right? Is there a difference between a team that's a four versus a six or a six versus an eight, right? So you're coming off a four-day break is pretty tough, and then you get a two-day advantage on a six-day, but Eight versus six is it really? Yeah, when you're off for that long, six days is a decent break, and eight days is obviously longer than usual. But is that actually that much of a difference? So I don't know if it's necessarily just the actual difference in breaks, or it's more to do with you know how many days you had. I think you know what I'm trying to say. I do. I think it did make a difference this year, though, because it's not just an isolated. Oh, you're playing on one six-day break to an eight-day break. If you've had a six-day break, probably the week before you might have had a five. The week before you might have had a five. The week before you might have had a four. So because the the fixture was so compressed, I think that the cumulative effect of this, uh, when you had those advantages and when a team got a chance to rest for eight days, I think that the difference was certainly felt. And a lot of those results um, sort of played out that way. We spoke about it through the year. We it Without completely tossing out results of games and saying this didn't mean anything, there were several times where we spoke about a game prior to and then after and said, well, we kind of got what we thought. This team wasn't able to really run with this team in the second half and then the game sort of uh, broke open a little bit. So it's just interesting. I, I, I just think that everything's going to level up now that they've had a week off, a week and a half off, and they will be getting largely, uh, you know, at least a seven-day break in between games. Yeah, that is going to be really interesting to see because that, that gap is gone now, that uh, yeah, games or days advantage is gone, and we talked about it before, getting injury, injured players potentially back. We hopefully get to see the team that is the best or the team that is you know, you know, coached better or prepared better will get that opportunity versus it being something that's you know, really out of their control in terms of how many days off do they have in between games. So it'll be good to see that high level of footy, hopefully, that we get in these games. Let's hope that the, uh, let's hope that the dewy ground doesn't create too much of a problem now we have. You know, it's been a while since we've had footy, as we've mentioned already on today's show, Kane. Um, so we thought what we'd do here is just to, to fill out the, the last segment of these shows until we get the games back at the end of this week. Is with eight teams still alive? It's worth looking at. We know the stars of these teams. It's worth looking at players who might be sort of X factors or under the radar players who could have an impact and change the fortunes of these teams if they perform to their to the levels that they can get to. 
they're the guys that might be saying, oh, this team had a surprising run or, or did this because of this player who we didn't really necessarily calculate in contention there. So we'll start off with the bottom two teams in the eight. And we'll start with the eighth team here in, in Collingwood. Now, for, for my guy that I'm looking at here, we've talked about him a bit this season and we've talked about Collingwood a lot, you know, getting Trelaw back and Pendlebury back and we know Sidebottom's not coming in and Adams and we know what those guys are going to do. We know what Darcy Moore's going to do down back. We know what Maynard's going to do. The interesting one to me is Josh Dacos, who's taken a really big step forward this year pushed into the midfield and up onto the wing when there was a lot of injuries and Pendlebury and those other guys were out. And really, I think you know, his classy ball use and really good decision-making was really important for Collingwood during the season. Now, can he do that when he's not going to be perhaps in quite as large of a role as he had been at times with those other guys all returning and getting a lot of that midfield time, that remains to be seen. So can he work as a half forward who sets up goals and kicks goals and moves into the midfield at times? To me, he is the the one that if he can be at that level that he was through the back end of the season, that's going to give Collingwood a decent enough shot of being able to pull off the upset against West Coast. Yeah, it's... uh, Look, I I think they're going to need... What they're going to need to pull off the west, uh, the the upset against West Coast, pull off the West Coast. Uh, I'm not sure if we want to go down that path, but what, <laughs> but what they need to do to pull up, pull off the upset against Collingwood is kick goals. And a guy I'm looking at is Jaden Stevenson. Obviously, he's been in and out of the team this year. He's been up and down, but he's such an X factor up forward. The easy guy to point to when you look at that forward fifty structure is Jordan Dugowie. Clearly, he's a guy that can get you four or five on any given night and win the game. But Stevenson, I think, is a guy that. And not only is he at, can he score from set shots, he can lead up, he can take those marks in the lead, but what he does is he can pull goals out of his ass. Yeah. He snaps, he, he's, he's got the mercurial in him, and he's also lightning quick for his size. So Stevenson, for mine, when you talk about the Pies at times struggling to kick goals, it's going to come to, to a time where they're going to just need something mercurial. And I think that he could be the guy uh, to do that. We've seen it before in the past. Only 13 goals in the season so far. Uh, he's only played the 12 games. As I said, he's been in and out of the team. But Stevenson, uh, I think to get him in, give him a chance in the wide open expanses of Optus Stadium, I, I, I think he's going to be an X factor. If he plays well, if he can kick th- three or four goals, uh, I think that could be uh, what could help Collingwood to the upset win. The Bulldogs take on St. Kilda in their first final, and they'd be hoping that they can make another run from the seventh spot. Uh, you know, to push into you know, further into the finals, um, we know they've got their three All Australians. We know, yeah, you know, the play of guys like Dunkley and uh, um, yeah, Lockie Hunter on the wing. But yeah, if in terms of a guy that can be a bit of an X factor for this team, I think it's Jason Johannesson, who over the last two games has actually pushed forward, kicked two goals against Hawthorne, he kicked another goal against the Dockers. He hasn't really been at his best all season. But if he can provide that, that run, and we talk about and we talk about Adam Saad so much, yeah, how many bounces is he taking? And that's really breaking the game open. That's what Johannesson can do. We've seen him have massive impacts in finals before. And if he can do that while also pushing forward and providing another avenue to goal, I think that he can be um, a real X factor for the Bulldogs if he's able to get that level of play. Because he's been a little bit up and down, but if he's adding, adding goal kicking into the, the bunch, and he's had shots on goal in each of the last four games as well, when really he wasn't a, much of a goal kicker early on, I think he's the one that if he can turn it on to a level of his best form, the Bulldogs are a chance to go a little bit further than their ladder position may uh, may lead to. I'm going for the big fella, Tim English, Ooh. because we, we spoke about him, particularly at the start of the season. Remember some of these games that he was having? It was, it was quite incredible, actually, the accumulation of the possessions he was getting. He went for a stretch against the game against Sydney. 
North Melbourne, Carlton, and then that uh, monster game he had against Essendon where he had 22 disposals, 22 disposals, 17, and then back up to 22. He hasn't been above 20 since that game, which was all the way back in round seven. What I liked about him in the last two weeks before the finals, he turned into a goal kicker. Two goals against Hawthorne, two goals against Fremantle. We know he's not going to win the hitouts. It's not going to happen. But what he can do is have an impact around the ground. And to get the, those possession counts up, He's been down. Heading into the finals, he's had uh, several games where he's been in single digits for disposals. If he's doing that, he's just really not having an impact on the game because he's not winning your hitouts either. The English has to be a factor around the ground. And if he can somehow regain that form from earlier in the season, particularly coming up against a St. Kilda team that we know is going to throw Rowan Marshall at you, great around the ground. They're going to throw Paddy Ryder, really athletic. He's going to hurt you. Uh, a, a win or a loss for the Bulldogs could come down to the young fella, English. Yeah, and he he struggled against St Kilda in the game earlier in the season, where the yeah. Marshall and uh, I think I think Ryder played in that game, but they they really gave it to him in that game. He, he struggled quite a bit. The other thing he did last week is when Norton went down, the Bulldogs threw Alex Keith forward, and English went back and played like almost a key defensive role, took some big grabs down there, and he's shown that a couple of times this season. I think he took a couple of grabs against the Eagles and maybe against the Suns late in those games as well. So adding that part to his game is pretty interesting. So if he can keep that level up, get the ball around the ground and kick, uh, move, move forward and kick goals, like that's impacting the, the game like right across the entire ground. And that is that is going to be huge if he is able to do that. We'll, uh, we'll cover a couple more teams tomorrow. Look at St. Kilda and West Coast in tomorrow's show. Kane, we're uh, three days away from footy and uh, we're pretty excited. Yeah, I'm fired up now. I said at the start I was disappointed over the weekend, but uh, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I think the finals are going to be great. I'm looking forward to Thursday night, obviously, Friday, Saturday. That's going to be a good week. It is. It is, guys. And if you want uh, your week to be even better, just subscribe to the show and you'll never miss an episode. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. Give us a five-star review on the old Apple Podcasts as well. And today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Marcus Seacamp.